3: Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. Coming up on Fast, break out your rally caps. J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovich says stocks are headed back to all-time highs by the end of this year, the three reasons why he is feeling so bullish. Also ahead, FedEx delivers. The stock surging in the after hours and strong results. The company's call is just kicking off. we listening in. We'll bring you all the big headlines. And later, Dan is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea, why he says this stock is ready to fly. That's a hint. We've got the name straight ahead. But we start off with a big rally on Wall Street. Stocks surging to end the quarter, and boy, what a quarter it's been. In fact, the S&P 500 posting its best quarterly performance since Q4 1998. So let us fire up the old fast money time machine for a trip back in time. In Q4 of 1998, the S&P 500 gained more than 20 percent. Today, the index finished the quarter of at 19.95 percent, to be exact. In December of 1998, the unemployment rate stood at 4.4 percent. Today, we are at 13.3 percent. And back in the day, U.S. GDP growth was 6.6 percent. Currently, GDP has contracted 5 percent. Oh, and why are we playing this song? We might have a few Britney Spears fans on this panel, but the real reason is "Oh yeah. Hit Me Baby" was one. One more time was one of the top uh, songs of the billboard list back in 1998. And everyone is rushing to the box office to score tickets to see The Big Lebowski, one of the biggest movies back then in 98. But we all know what happened next. The party ended with a dot-com bubble burst. And by the way, the Dow just had its best quarter since 1987. So after a strong Q2 guy, what happens now?
4: Uh... Uh, can I start the game with a, a "Would There's you no rather" game. to you, Mel? There is no I mean, game. Why not? Go ahead. Yeah, I, no. you have. <laughs> <laughs> would you? Would you rather go see Britney Spears in concert, assuming we can go see concerts, or go to AMC and watch the uh, re- rerun of The Big Lebowski? I know where I stand on this one. I'm pretty sure I know where you stand as well.
3: The dude. I'd go with the dude.
4: Nice. See, you're such a lot. Li- you know something? Somebody's <laughs> in your ear right now telling no, you that because you that. never saw I The Big little You have no idea movie. what that is. All right.
3: I've read about it. <laughs> anyway, go on.
4: Well, I, listen, good for the market. Unbelievable quarter end, you know, half year end. The whole thing goes out with a, with a, on, a, on a high note. It's fantastic. And listen, you can't attribute it to much more, in my opinion, than this Fed backstop that everybody's pretty convinced we have, because quite frankly, the news... On the other side of things, on the COVID front, doesn't seem to get any better. I mean, we'll talk about FedEx. That was actually a great quarter, good for them. But on the margins, you know, this is, market just gets more expensive by the day. So I understand what's going on here. I see why we're going higher. We defended that 3,000 level. We talked about the reversal yesterday. Those are all really good things. Uh, but it continues to be a buyer beware for me. Yeah, Steve? so
5: if you compare it to 98 then you have to compare it to 08 would you agree with me on that
3: sure we i mean we took 98 because it's the best performance since 98 but you know you make your own comparison do whatever you want
5: so so if you compare it to 98 you're saying this was the best quarter since that but the first quarter was the worst quarter since 08. so i'm trying to figure out where we're going after this so it's sort of pick your poison guy (laughs) Right. That's a game, too. So I would say to me, this looks a lot like 08 and the rebound. This was a forced, uh, you know, a a forced fault, if you will. We're much closer to a vaccine than when we first started. So I would have to assume that the markets are going to reflect that. If the markets reflect that PMIs get better, the world gets better. Eventually we recover. And the market acts in kind, it's not going to be a quick spike higher. But I don't think we're going to see a collapse like we did after the 98, if you make that comparison, because I know what the next step would be uh, where we fell after 98.
3: Yeah. Dan.
6: Hey, lost my signal.
7: Well, Please you know, tell them listen. before they call. Yeah, I just think that what we have going on right now um, you know, I I don't really really care about 98 or 2008. Um, What's really important is what does unemployment look like in the back half of this year and in 2021. And I just kind of say that structurally, some very uh, big things changed in our economy in just the last four months. And so when you think about what's been happening to small businesses, despite all of the fiscal stimulus and all the assistance they've gotten on the monetary side, um, it's just really gonna change things for the next you know, probably year to 18 months or so. Um, A lot of the efficiencies that have been realized by a lot of companies, big employers and small employers um, alike are gonna keep unemployment very high. So I go back to 2009, where unemployment topped out at about 10% after the you know the worst financial crisis we've had since the Great Depression, at that point you could say that obviously this is the deepest recession that we've had since the Great Depression. Also, but I just think fundamentally things have changed a great deal. I think the jobs report this uh, Thursday is going to be really important to see if that um, unemployment rate ticks back up there. And you know, listen, the market ripped on the number last uh, at the end of May when when the uh, number was surprisingly lower. So to me, I think it really relies on unemployment here. I don't think we have any clear uh, vision into what that looks like, but I suspect it stays very high for at least the next year or so.
3: Let's say it stays high, double digit percent, uh, Tim, for the next year or so, but it doesn't get worse. Is that all the market needs, though, to to keep climbing or to at least remain stable? I I think,
6: yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, when you talk about 1998, uh, the most important thing is to me that that was the year that after the asian financial crisis and then the russian financial crisis long-term capital blew up and you had really to me, the first orchestrated bailout by the Federal Reserve, and 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 since then it, it's been a story of Fed bailouts, and it's really gotten absurd. And we talk about it all the time, but but that's that's exactly the analog to today. So that's why 1998 is important. We had that quarter because the market was down uh, 25% over the summer, and and then uh, essentially you got every bailout that markets. Uh, they, these were it was a new concept, I should say, back then, and, and it's with us today. The most important thing for the markets right now is this flood of liquidity and the expectation of more stimulus is enough, uh, whether it gets done or not. So I-, I think, yes, I think the data points of which Dan's pointing out, we've got some enormous data out even in the next couple of days, not just here and around the world, but with the Fed and liquidity where they are and no sign of ever removing emergency funding, despite what he said yesterday, um, I think markets have to go higher.
3: So it's a bubble. I mean, with the Fed pumping all the liquidity in the system, Guy, it's a bubble. But the question is, what will pop that bubble if the Fed is always going to be there?
4: Yeah, I don't know. I wish I could answer that because then they'd they'd write books about me in the years to come. They might do that anyway. I I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that have happened over the last six months that I thought could have been that. And nothing seems to matter. I still think, you know, the U.S.-China relationship is potentially... Uh, a bit of a powder keg. I mean, we don't even talk about the election coming up in four and a half months. I mean, that obviously, if that goes one way or the other, it could be market moving. So there's so many things out there that can move it. But I think right now, uh, the market seems to think the Fed has their back. And they've been correct to think that. I'll say this, you know, Jerome Powell said something about when the, when the time is right, they'll put the tools back in the toolbox. No, they won't. I won't, say what, I, I won't say a lot of things, but no they won't, because they tried to put the tools back in the toolbox in October of 2018, and you saw what happened there. The market called their bluff, and they brought the tools right back out. So they're at a point now where they can job on all they want about being able to put the tools back. They can't. They're in this now, and they're in it for the long term. I, I, again, I'll say... You know, I think we're going to get to a point where diminishing marginal returns in terms of what the Federal Reserve can do for us.
3: The tools don't fit in the box anymore. I mean, let's be clear about that. Right. I mean, they again, as you said, they tried, they failed and the tools just got bigger and stronger and did a bit more heavy lifting. And now, Dan, here we are. I don't I don't know how you how you take that back. <laughs>
7: Well, listen, I mean, I think what's really clear here, and some very smart people that I talked to on the MMT, whatever you want to call it, I mean, really what it comes down to is a scarcity of risk assets, right? You saw that Sotheby's Contemporary Art Sale last night. Things went record after record last night. People are dying to put their cash into hard assets. And so when you think about, as far as liquid assets are concerned, it's really the stock market. Look at the 10-year Treasury yield pinned at 65 basis points. You know, Guy and I have been talking about this a lot. I think if you see it break that March 9th low... um, 50 basis points was the close, 31 um, on the intraday. I think that um, I think that there's a lot of things that won't like that price action. You just said we're in it for the long haul. The analogy would be Japan, who's been in it for the long haul, and look what happened to their banking sector. It's like down 80% in the last you know two or three decades. And I'll just tell you this, J.P. Morgan today at $94 underperforming the broad market, I think it's telling you that the back half of this year is not going to be nearly as rosy. As the second quarter. And I also think that about rates. So, you know, to me, keep piling into the MAGA and all this high growth, you know, the winners of the pandemic. And that's fine. People are making a lot of money doing that. So I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying that there's some pretty funky stuff going on here. And I think I'd rather look at JP Morgan than Zoom to kind of get a sense of where this market's going in the back half of this year.
3: Okay. So, first half, wild first half in the books officially. We thought it'd be a great time to map out the rest of 2020 with the chart master, who's got three right ideas for you as we head. Into this back half. Cornerstone Macros Carter Worth is here to lay them out. Hi, Carter.
8: Well, you guys definitely covered a lot. It's definitely a bubble, and there is an expression, the fix is in. Uh, The Federal Reserve believes, and for now, they have fixed it. We shall see. Nobody is bigger than the market. But anyway, uh, we're looking at three sort of excellent things, if you will, not because I say they're excellent, but their charts are excellent, that they're good for the back half. A conventional buy, a bearish to bullish buy, and a stay long, be long buy. Let's look at the first chart. So this is biotech, IBB. And it goes back to 09. You can see the great run up from essentially 25 to 150. And then this tight range in which biotech has been mired for the better part of three years. And we're just now breaking out above the tops of that range, a conventional buy juncture, meaning it's a convention generally agreed upon what a breakout is and that's exactly what's going on here. So one area that I think is quite good for the second half. Second chart, this is a bearish to bullish reversal buy. It's silver, SLV. You see the great run up of course, it peaked in 2011 uh, at almost 50 and then collapsed and we've been carving out a bottom ever since. A rounding bottom, a bear to bull, however you want to call it. Uh, but this is also uh, what I would characterize as something that's going to be quite good in the second half. Silver at $18 and thereabouts today, and I think much higher. And then finally, the third chart, what I would characterize as the royalty of healthcare. Uh, this is Thermo Fisher and Danaher plotted together on a five-year chart, and it, which, which you would call a stay-long, be-long kind of uh, bijuncture, meaning you want to be present. If you're not present, get present, and if you are present, stay and enjoy One, look how steady they are. And then just to keep this in mind, you see the appreciation there over a five-year period, 170%. Do you know what the Qs have done in five years? 130. And what the S&P has done is 49, meaning these stocks are better than the QQQ. One could say, well, but wait a minute, then they're overdone. But here's the best part. Guess what their beta is? TMO has a beta of 0.84, and Danaher, Of 0.87, meaning they have lower beta than the market, and yet they're outperforming not only the market, but the QQQ, which is the center of the adoration in the market.
3: Carter, always great to speak with you. Carter Braxton Worth of Cornerstone Macro. All right, so IBB, SLV, or the Royalty of Healthcare, TMO and uh, DHR was thrown in there too. Grasso, which one would you go for?
5: IBB. IBB, you get Amgen, you get Vertex, you get Gilead, you get Biogen, you get all of those bets. If you go with Thermo, you only it, it's up 11%. It's up the same performance as IBB. I'd rather be more versatile, mute my risk. And as I said before, the vaccine is around the corner. It's a matter of 6, 8, 12 months. All of these will benefit from that. It would be IBB for me.
3: I mean, muted risk, TMO, has got 0.8 beta, Tim. That sounds kind of good.
6: Yeah. Well, so I agree with Steve, but I don't agree with Steve. I I actually like the IBB too, because I think these are uh, companies that have actually quite attractive valuations relative to the market, uh, they have fantastic balance sheets. Uh, and maybe more importantly, back to Carter, if Carter was was, was charting breakouts, this is a, a five-year breakout on the IBB. And I think he's done that recently for us. So I'd rather go with uh, that day's Carter. Um, and I think you have a, a, a dynamic here where, if, if anything, um, I don't necessarily agree that a vaccine is going to be a catalyst to the sector or even one specific stock, because we don't really know what the costs are going to be. Uh, and we don't know the, the benefits are going to be. But, uh, but again, of in, in, in that uh, myriad of choices, I, I definitely think IBB is breaking out and you stay there.
3: All right, let's do some stock picking here. We'll take a look at some of the big winners and losers in Q2. Find out if you should bet on these names headed into this second half. And so this paves the way for one of our favorite games.
2: Trade it or fade it.
3: Trade it or fade it. All right. Um, huh. What? let's let's start off with PayPal, up 82% this quarter. Um, We'll kick it off with Tim. Trade it or fade it? Okay.
6: You know, I reluctantly I trade it and and I'm reluctant because the stock's up 40 percent above its pre pandemic highs. Uh, The valuation is very difficult. At this point, if you want to reach out to 2022, it's 32 times. But, you know, they added seven point four million new users in April. And there's no question that contactless payments is is not uh, going away tomorrow. And I think some of these tail ones that are pandemic uh, based and were also around before the pandemic stay with them.
7: Yeah. So, um, Tim, I'm going to fade this one here. I mean, listen, you know, I think all of us have been on this train. We all thought that this is, you know, a secular shift that you cannot um, avoid. I think it's really important to note that when you talk about contactless payments, you know, Venmo is not that kind of device that you're using to buy things you know it's not like a b2c sort of thing it's a peer-to-peer thing now obviously that's seeing great adoption here um, but this is just a stock that you know broke out above 125 and now we're looking at 175 this isn't a matter of months so um, I think at 10 times sales up 110 percent from those lows I- I'm saying you know what you're gonna have a better opportunity to buy this I think you can continue to kind of wade into this there's lots of different ways to kind of play t- contact with it was, yep. I'm not payments. I'm not sure Venmo is exactly it right here.
3: All right, next up Freeper Mac Moran FCX up 71% since the start of the quarter. Guy traded it or faded
4: it. Uh traded it. I'm going to play the game correctly. I'm upset that they didn't fire the traded or faded. That's your favorite part, graphic right? Graphic or whatever. That's my fa- that's my absolute f- I can just listen to that on a loop. I often do by the way after the show's over, but I digress. Trade it. Good for Tim Seymour. Been on the back of this for a while. I think commodities are absolutely going higher. I think copper is one of those that will go higher. I think freeport mcmoran is probably cheap based on that. So playing the game correctly, I would say trade it, Mel.
3: <laughs> you do a fine job of, of, of doing the audio, Guy, by the way. Next up, Lenar. Also that. a big this quarter. Dan, you trade it or fade it?
7: You know, listen, I, I think that everything's in place. I think you trade the home builders right here. I was looking to fade them kind of earlier in this pandemic period, but they are cheap. Rates are staying low. There are certain shifts that are going on, um, certain you know, shifts away from urbanization that really benefit these guys. So to me, given the valuation, given liquidity, given rates, and given some of the shifts that are likely to be around, um, you probably can, can get long home builders even here, even after these massive runs off their March lows.
6: Yeah. See, you know, I, I I'm going to have to play this game correctly. I'm going to have to fade these. Um, I. I I think home builders' best days are really just bounce off of the expectations of the market really falling apart underneath the consumer. We the, the consumer is uh, potentially in a better place at least with stimulus uh, and, and and the Federal Reserve, but very low rates aren't necessarily going to be enough for housing, uh, and we've seen that for the last five years. So nice run on home builders, but I'm not chasing Leonard here.
3: All right, now to turn to a Q2 loser. We'll hit GE, finishing the quarter in the red, down 14%. So Steve, would you trade it? Or fade it?
5: I would trade this one. If you have to think about when the economy recovers, it's not if, it's when. So when the economy recovers, what's going to do better? Aviation and power. PMIs are better right now. But what's the most important thing about GE is the entry point that you can get right now. You're, you're, you're under $7. You have the ability to have a double in this stock or at least a 30% gain rather quickly once the economy recovers, I would be a trader of GE.
3: All right, so uh, Guy, would you trade, trade it or,
4: or fade it. it? Oh,
3: you said it was your You're favorite. Me to the punch. There you are. Go ahead.
4: It is. It is my favorite. Now, you know, I think Steve. The point Steve's making at this price point is probably worth a flyer in this environment. I, I'm disappointed that it hasn't moved higher, but you know what? It's interesting. We talked about Danaher earlier, because now you have some Danaher DNA in GE. I think that's really important. By the way, uh, Danaher was named after a creek in Montana that the Rails brothers were fishing on. We talked about that a decade or so ago on CNBC's Fast Money. That, by the way, is the more you know. You can fire that graphic if you want as well, if you have it handy.
3: That's it. was fast no, money Tim, classic. It's fast not a dime,
4: classic. okay? It's not a dime. <laughs> so
3: we got to move on. We've got an earnings <laughs> alert on FedEx. I just dimed you, by the way. Earnings alert on FedEx. The stock's touring in the after hour session. Let's get to Frank Holland, who's got all the details. Hey, Frank.
2: Hey there, Melissa. Beat on revenue a more than dollar, beat on EPS. FedEx ground margin also surprising to the upside for the segment that's been handling much of that increased demand due to COVID 19. FedEx ground seeing volumes increase by 23%, but much of that was that less profitable B2C. Operating margin falling year over year because of that B2C increase, average revenue per piece falling as well. But I'm at from Deutsche Bank echoing the sentiments of many others on the street. Shock and awe in a good way. People were bracing for something like six or seven percent margin for ground. The express margins more than doubled sequentially. The CapEx number is also very, very positive. Because one of the knocks on this company is that they've been overspending on CapEx. FedEx says CapEx will be around $4.9 billion in fiscal 2021, a $1 billion decline. The company is saying every single line item was impacted by COVID-19. That includes a $125 million increase in operating cost, much of that to buy PPE for employees. FedEx also declining to offer full-year guidance because of the uncertainty of the pandemic. And after hours, UPS also up 5%, both companies seeing a boost in volume. UPS also a first mover on a surcharge for large retail customers, a move expected to generate $50 million for UPS in June alone. FedEx just starting that surcharge on June 8th. We'll have to watch and see how that turns out. Back over to you.
3: Frank, thank you. Frank Holland with the latest on FedEx. Uh, Steve Grosso, better than expected quarter, bigger than expected move, as predicted by the options market here, by the way, in the after hours.
5: Yeah, when I look at it, when I look at it on our chart uh, right now, it hasn't been above or hasn't maintained above the 200-day moving average for any length of time since the middle of 2018. 200-day moving average is, let's call it 141. Last sale is 152.65. I would probably probably sell this move thinking that it's going to come back within range, back to that 200-day moving average or thereabouts. I'd be a seller of this pop.
3: I mean, one theory is put forth by Citigroup when they um, raised their price target a week or so ago to 160 a share is that with all the reopenings, B2B business will be picking up. And that's sort of a higher margin business here. So there's really upside once you get sort of past the, the roughest part of the year. Dan, what do you think?
7: Yeah, so um, you know this is one that, as of today's close, was down 50 percent from its January 2018 highs. You know, there's a whole host of issues that were specific to this company. Their earnings were down about 45 percent from the peak in 2018. So earnings revision, after earnings revision, after earnings revision, have pounded this thing down. It hasn't taken a whole heck of a lot to get this stock higher. If they do have an inflection on the margins, on that ground margins, that's what I think investors really want to see. It's a cheap stock, and then you put together the optimism about a global recovery and you don't get to buy too many brands like this down 50 percent or so but i kind of agree with steve you know up you know 12 13 bucks up you know 10 percent or so on one clip without full year guidance you probably get a shot for this thing to settle back in a little bit
3: all right coming up the race for coronavirus vaccine is on but the fda has raised new concerns that could slow things down we've got the details and much more ahead plus we're going a little stir crazy without sports right But our Dan Nathan has a stock that he thinks will raise higher when big events come back. That name and much more with Fast Money Return.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. We're getting new details from the FDA on what conditions need to be met for approval of a coronavirus vaccine. Let's get to Meg Terrell for the breakdown. Hey, Meg.
9: Hey, Mal, Well, we are just a couple weeks away, if you can believe it, from the first large-scale phase three COVID-19 vaccine trials beginning. And today, the FDA putting out this guidance, giving us some idea of what to expect for how well these vaccines need to work and what exactly they need to show before they could get approved. The FDA says these vaccines have to be at least 50 percent effective at preventing either infection from the virus or disease, and that they also have to um, test not just one of those things, but also evaluate whether they prevent severe disease uh, and the infection as well. They say they won't accept surrogate endpoints, meaning you can't just show antibody generation data uh, because they say it hasn't been proven yet what levels you need to confer protection. Um, of course, safety is uh, the most important thing, and they say subjects must be followed uh, for up to one to two years at least, even if the vaccines are approved, just to follow along those safeties and to get a sense of the durability of the protection. Now, Moderna, of course, is one of the front runners here, and they have already laid out some of their phase three plans, and they jive, of course, with this guidance. They say their trial will enroll 30,000 participants in the United States. Their primary goal is prevention of symptomatic disease, but the secondary goals are prevention of more severe disease, meaning hospitalization, and also preventing the virus from being able to infect cells at all. Uh, now they are in the lead, but Pfizer is neck and neck with them, planning to start a trial in July as well. AstraZeneca planning. Even either July or August, for a trial start in the U.S., J&J then in September, and Sanofi and GlaxoSmithKline toward the end of the year. And Melissa, Pfizer tells us, I interviewed their CEO on Friday, they already have their phase one trial data in-house, and they are just waiting for a scientific journal to publish it for it to be released. They say they expect they could have data by September from the phase three if enrollment goes quickly. Mal?
3: So Meg, just so I get this straight, let's say the study were 30,000 patients, would have to not show symptomatic COVID, uh, and the other 50%, I mean, I don't really understand the 50% effective. It doesn't sound very reassuring.
9: Yeah. So if you think about flu vaccines, uh, typically they're maybe 40 to 60% in a good year effective at preventing Uh, either severe disease or disease with the flu. Um, So basically what they need to show is when they divide, you know, those 30,000 patients, half will be in placebo, half will get the vaccine, uh, that in the group that gets the vaccine, you do see uh, disease reduced by 50%.
3: Okay. Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell with the latest on the FDA guidelines. Um, I mean, I think the key here as it pertains to the markets and to the economy is will a vaccine of that efficacy change your behavior. Will it enable you to go out with any sort of confidence to stores, to hotels, go on planes, et cetera? Tim, what do you think?
6: Absolutely. And from a market's perspective, uh, well, let me take a step back. I, I, I acknowledge that people at times in the last two months have shown some sense of, of either confidence, uh, irresponsibility, whatever you want to say, whether it was storming into in, into casinos, whether it was discussions about uh, you know, whether they actually would take a vaccine or not if it had been developed. Um, and they think that there's maybe greater risks in that. Um, but, but the bottom line here is if you look at the market and, and what you want to own the day that you know for sure that, that those numbers are enough to get FDA approval and there is efficacy is you want to own banks you want to own guys Windicator, you want to own uh, airlines you want to own most of the industrial stuff auto companies anyone who 's got this uh, ticking time bomb in terms of their balance sheet um, that 's what this is all about so it 's all about understanding the length to normalcy uh, mm-hmm. I know that as analysts and investors we can look to 20 2022. uh, But these companies cannot. Uh, So I do think that it's very important that the vaccine comes. And I do think people will feel more confident.
4: Guy. I admire Pfizer because effectively what they're saying is we're not going to say anything until we know more, as opposed to some of these other companies that just seem to rattle stuff off uh, for, for a number of various reasons, which proper decorum prohibits me from getting into. With that said, Tim brings up a great point You know, what a lot of people don't talk about is that if you just look at these numbers, there's 40 percent of the population that have basically flat out said they're not going to take they're not going to get the vaccine, even if it's proven effective. That's problematic because this entire thing seems to be politicized. I don't know what that means health wise, but I can't believe it's particularly good. But to Steve's earlier point, uh, we're closer to getting a vaccine because people are out there looking for it. I mean, that's why. But again, these things take time. And the typical duration is at best 18 months. And what are we, six months in? So there's still a lot of road to hoe here. With that said, and we've said this for a long time, the way to play this is with the IBB, which Steve mentioned earlier, as did Carter Braxton Worth. Above 134, that is a verified breakout, in my opinion.
3: All right. Our next guest says, despite virus flare-ups that we're seeing across the country, stocks are still headed back to all-time highs this year. Marco Kalonovich is a global head of macro, quantitative, and derivative strategy at J.P. Morgan. He joins us on the Fast Line. Marco, always great to
1: speak with you. Hi, Melissa. How are you?
3: So you think that the flare-ups are just hiccups, and, and you're really pointing to the, the lower mortality rate, so you're not dying, and so that makes you more confident?
1: Um, you know... We have a num- number of things happening in the market. You know, one is, is, is first, first the stimulus. You know, the second is really whether the COVID is going to end the economy. And we don't think it's going to end the economy. We think it's uh, we are seeing now a bit of a second wave, but mortality in the second wave is, it should be much lower. We're also monitoring some of the smart thermometer data and basically seeing much smaller spike than what we saw sort of in March and April. So, so we think it's it's a little bit of a setback, but. We are uh, on, on, a, on a path to recovery. Economy is on a path to recovery.
3: So your year-end target is 3,400. And what sort of progress do we need to make on that vaccine? Is, is that one of your primary, you know, base cases for 3,400, mm-hmm. that we have progress towards a vaccine and no, then maybe not unemployment? Okay.
1: No, no, not at all. Not at all. We, we, we really don't condition it at all on a vaccine. Basically, on one side, we are looking at the impact of monetary and fiscal measures. And on the other side, we are basically looking at some limited reopening economy that does not require a required vaccine.
3: So it sounds like there could be upside potential to your 3400 target. I mean, should we make some pretty decent progress to the vaccine? If that's not factored in whatsoever, that could be a yeah, real yeah. booster.
1: I agree. I agree. So if there is a progress on vaccine, which we do not factor in, uh, I think you will just see the quicker snapback. You know, you would just get there quicker, much quicker, you know, and and. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we we are you know you you probably overshoot you know so we are talking here about 3,400. I think if you can accelerate everything, I think you would probably go to about 3,400, probably 3,600, 3, 3, 3,700. You know, one big driver of our of, of our view is is also positioning. You know, positioning in equities is actually very low, so it's about. 25th percentile across, across uh, discretionary hedge funds, if you look at the quants, it's actually even much lower. You know? So for instance, all of these volt targeters, risk parity, uh, even CTAs to some extent, they're between five and 10 percentile. And you know? like, so just the decline in volatility, if you can just normalize a little bit markets, actually money will fall into equities. You know? like, so that's another big driver, which is entirely independent of, of COVID.
6: Hey, Marco, it's Tim. Uh, congrats. You guys have done a great job on having a level head in, in the chaos and talking about positioning and then talking about this unprecedented level of stimulus. And so so back to then, let's, let's talk positioning. You just hit a lot of it, but at times you've given us some specific levels if CTAs uh, overshoot on a couple headlines that we could get. Can you give us some near-term uh, guideposts
1: on, on where you think some of the shorter-term overshoots could be? Yeah, so look, with, with the CTAs now, and, and that's something that's not very well understood, I think, in the market, you know, signals are largely positive. You know, we are above 200 their average. We are above some of the, the other, the, the fixed tenor signals. So signals are positive, but what's holding back these investors is high levels of, call it VIX, you know, high levels of realized volatility. So signals are already positive, but because volatility is high, these uh, funds are only maybe like 15 to 20% invested on the trend side, you know, so basically declining VIX would just basically, you would just see an increase, increase in assets uh, going into equities, funds going into equities. You know, so I wouldn't tie to specific price level, but more in VIX. So let's say VIX can go into mid-20s, you know, and maybe by the end of the summer, sort of low-20s. Then I think you would just pour in, um, you know, probably a few hundred billion dollars in, in, in equities, which in an environment of low liquidity could push market quite substantially uh, above these levels.
3: All right. And Marco, while we have you, just a quick question. You know, we, we've been talking about the uh, rise of the retail trader. And I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if, if in your sort of world, if, if that factors in at all, their liquidity it, that they're adding into this market.
1: It, it does factor a little bit, you know. So so I would say the assets, you know, assets are uh, not huge, but their impact can be larger. You know, like the, the market impact of these trades could be large. It's probably larger than, than institutional trades. And assets are Flowing in. you know people are getting these paychecks. they're staying at home they're 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 doing it as a pastime and in, in, instead of betting so actually definitely helped and 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 we uh, we think that that money will stay in the market you know like so that's another another thing which i think is a positive
3: all right marco thank you
1: no problem marco
3: kalanovich jp morgan um dan marco said the magic number on volatility vix is mid-20s low 20s this summer
7: yeah, I mean, it, it could be. I mean, obviously, it's really about monetary stimulus. I think that's the thing that sticks around. I think fiscal is going to be harder to come by. I just remember last time he was on the air or on our show with us, he was a little worried about the tensions with China. I, I, you know, to my my purview, they're not getting better and they're only likely to get worse. And especially as the president's numbers um, are as bad as they are, he needs to beat up on something. So I suspect that that situation is not going to be particularly good. And that could be um, a real headwind to, to growth or global growth uh, at a time when, you know, uh, we just needed to kind of putter along. And we need to kind of unify. So to me, that, that would be the, the big headwind I see.
3: Grasso, quick comment.
5: I think he's right. I think you're going to overshoot those old highs. I think you're going to shoot um, straight to 3,500 from here between monetary, fiscal and reopening the economy. Those three things are going to have the ability to be a tailwind for the overall market. I think the easiest path is still higher. All
3: right. Coming up, Apple in rally mode, but our share is about to turn sour. We'll break down the latest 5G iPhone worries. Stick around. Much more fast. Still ahead.
0: Every day.
3: Welcome back to F.A.S.T. It's a big night full of food here on CNBC. Coming up top of the hour, Kramer sitting down with the CEO of ConAgra Foods. Be sure to catch Mad 6 p.m. Eastern. And then later, our new documentary, Supermarket Shock, Crisis in America's Food Supply, that premieres tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Meantime, ahead on F.A.S.T., shopping for a deal, why options traders are betting on Macy's ahead of earnings we will bring you the trade. The first, Dan, is winding up for a fast pitch. He's got a reopening trade that he thinks will knock it out of the park. He's taking the mound when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money as we close the books on the first half of the year. Dan Nathan says there is one stock that is sure to be a high flyer for your portfolio. He's taking it out with its fast pitch. Dan.
7: Well, you know, Mel, on Fast Money, I like to say there's always a uh, bear market somewhere. Well, here's one in Twitter right here. This stock is down 20% in just the last... Few weeks is down 8% on the year. You know, since they reported their Q1 back in late April, the stock. It's really been a bit of a mess. Their, their March revenues were down year over year. Or their ad revenue 27%. But they did have um, a nice uptick in, in monthly active users. Um, uh, you know, they have this f- funny DAU, MAU sort of situation. But I think um, investors like that. So on a relative basis to Snap, which has had this massive run, it's rallied 40 or 50% just in the last couple of months. It's trading at about 12 times sales versus Twitter at about 6 times sales. I say to myself, there's kind of some catalysts here that could be setting up as we get into the summer with this stock um, really not participating in this broad rally here. And what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about sports, man. NBA is coming back, Major League Baseball, abbreviated season. Hopefully the NFL is coming back. And so when I think about those sorts of catalysts, I say to myself, okay, Twitter has about an ARPU, average revenue per user, about 20 bucks versus Facebook at a 30 bucks. They just gained a bunch of users in that Q1 despite ad revenue being down, I'm thinking that those new catalysts with sports coming back help them improve their margins, help them get um, greater revenues from the users that they do have. And then I guess the last point I'll just say is the sentiment is horrible. Wall Street analysts hate this stock. There's only 7 buy ratings, 29 holds, and five sells on this thing. So, you know, no one likes it. It doesn't trade well. I say Jack Dorsey, the CEO of the company, is really kind of stepping up here. And it's going to come out a better platform at the end of it. Last thing, the charts are maybe so bad that they're good. At 30 bucks. if you can break out here, it gets back to 35 here. We have two charts, 18 month and a five-year. Look at them. It's in a bad downtrend. If it breaks that soon, I think you see mid-30s.
3: All right. Uh, time for questions. Uh, Grasso, you've got one.
5: Yeah. So, so, Dan, when you look at this, though, and, and you, you, you set it up for me perfectly, the downtrend, when I go back to September of 2019, then you see the February of 2020 and then the June of 20, you have lower highs, series of lower highs. And that, for a technician, means it's running out of gas. So while I do agree with you, I think it's been oversold and I think you can get a pop. Is this a
7: short-term pop that you're looking for and then you're going to exit the trade again? Yeah, I mean, Steve, the charts are horrible. No doubt about it. I just think that the March guidance or or they didn't give any guidance. I think the expectations got so low that if they are able to beat and then guide up for the back half of the year, you'll clearly see a near term pop. And if there's any inflection um, on some of those metrics we talked about, I think you have a stock that's kind of put its bottom in in the mid 20s or so.
3: All right, no more uh, time for questions. Let's time. Uh, let's. It's time to vote. I should say. Are you buying Dan's pitch on Twitter, uh, Guy Dami? What do you say?
4: Well, you know, I can't see anybody, but I hope you can see this, Mel. And if you can, it's me tweeting about to so- tweet buyer, hashtag, heart Dan. Despite the fact that Steve's point, it continues to make lower lows and lower highs. I like Twitter.
3: All right, um, Tim. I'm
6: gonna. I'm just going to draw it for you, barely. Um, There's my little tweeter. Um, I'm a buyer, and as much as uh, I get nervous when Dan gets bullish, um, I'm long the stock. They've always had issues monetizing. I do think DAU growth is is very important
3: here. Steve Grasso.
6: Yeah, I'm going to go with a buy as well,
5: and I'm going to say... Buy Twitter, and I would sell it. I'd be a short-term holder of this. I would sell it at 35. I think that's good resistance.
3: All right. Well, the panel has spoken. Are you at home, though, buying Dan's pitch on Twitter? Vote now on our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will show you the results later on in the show. But up next, Apple's plans for 5G domination might have hit a snag. We have the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Apple, the stock rallying today, but a troubling report suggests that the tech giant's 5G plans could hit a snag. Let's get to Josh Lipton for the details. Hey, Josh.
10: So, Melissa, the first question is how much confidence we should have in this report. I checked in with a a couple tech analysts who know Apple backwards and forwards. They say uh, not very much. They're not very confident in the source. But here's what Digit Times reports, that Apple suppliers... Now expect 2020 5G iPhone shipments of 15 to 20 million. That's versus prior expectations of 30 to 40 million. Caught up with Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. He still thinks Tim Cook does take the stage, announces new 5G-enabled iPhones, that those new devices, he says, will hit the shelves in time for that critical holiday season. But there's a caveat, too. Munster thinks that initial demand for those phones could be softer than many investors are now expecting. One, he says economic uncertainty, but just as importantly, 5G coverage in the U.S., Munster's arguing, will still be spotty at that point. Bottom line, he doesn't believe we see strong consumer adoption of 5G phones until late 2021. But between now and then, he still thinks Apple stock moves higher from here. I asked him why. He says, listen, Apple is a a stable business with lots of cash. And he still thinks Apple can continue benefiting from some of those broader work-from-home trends as well. Melissa, back to you. All
3: right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton. Guy, Dami, what do you think? I mean, I know that you're rushing
4: out to uh, buy the 5G phone as soon as it gets released. Oh, 100%. I'm I'm actually visiting the application store once it reopens. The first thing I'm going to do is going to buy the 5G device without question. I mean, (laughs) why wouldn't I, right? I want to be like all the cool kids. Mention by the way, the cool kids like Josh Lipton, who is at another level of cool. But that's, again, I digress, and that's another story. What is the stock? I mean... Bad news doesn't matter. Impervious. I think it's in now 285 or so ETFs. So when money flow comes in, Apple goes higher. It's as simple as that. Um, And I think it's going to continue until the end of the month. I do think, though, if you're on the sidelines, you will get a chance to buy this stock at the prior all time high, which was 325. Apple does give you opportunities uh, a few times a year. Tim? I, the valuation is
6: really tough here. It, it's uh, I agree with everything Guy's saying on the liquidity dynamics with Apple. Also, you know, there, there is some concern that this iPhone 12 is going to be uh, you know, pricier. And, and, and so I don't know how sensitive they are. Dan Nathan will be sleeping out to get his 96th. Apple device. But I'm not sure that everybody will be. They're talking about pulling out the charger and doing some other things. And, and I, I just don't know. At some point, the price may be a challenge. But the biggest issue is the price of the stock, not the company. I, I think 5G is fine. Uh, we've priced in a lot of 5G, but it's, it's really this multiple.
7: Yeah, I think we priced in a lot of 5G, but I think that the actual um, phone when it comes out, the availability of it in the back half of this year, it's probably in the last few months of the year, it's just not going to be that great. There's not going to be a big super cycle. I think where the opportunities with 5G are kind of a way about connected devices and IoT, some things like that. So to me, it's going to be a higher price point. This is not the time for them to do that, in my opinion. And I just don't think it's going to have mass availability. Um, so you know, I don't think you buy it for 5G right here.
3: All right, coming up. Macy is reporting earnings tomorrow, and often traders are going on a shopping spree, we will explain. Plus, keep the votes coming. We will reveal if America is buying Dan's fast pitch on Twitter. The results are coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to Fast Money. Macy's reports earnings tomorrow. And check out what a wild month it's been. The company announced a $4.5 billion capital raise back on June 8th. It also pre-announced a 45% drop in Q1 sales while cutting nearly 4,000 jobs. The stock is up 8% this month. And options traders are betting on even bigger gains ahead. Mike's got the action. Hey, Mike.
4: Hi, Melissa. So we saw calls comfortably outpace puts today. That's not actually news just for today. We've actually seen that over the past 20 days where call volume has outpaced put volume by more than two to one. That has led the open interest in calls to comfortably exceed that of puts for the first time since October of 2019. Options right now are implying about a 9% move between now and the end of the week. And where we're seeing a lot of that activity is in the weekly six and a half calls. The buyers of those were paying just under 40 cents. So those are bets that the stock is actually going to rise above that six and a half strike price by at least the 40 cents or so that they paid. And of course, as you pointed out, they announced those preliminary results. We saw more than 30 percent swings that week. So this week, slightly less uh, moves expected, but bullish bets are the ones that are being made in the options markets.
3: Grosso, Macy's?
5: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could see about Macy's is that the stock is down 59%. So you think it's due for a bounce. So is Kohl's stores. It's down 59%. So is JWN. It's down 62%. All those could be bouncing. Um, I, I agree with it. Macy's is due for a bounce off the lows.
3: All right. Thanks, Mike, for that. Mike Co with the Options Action. By the way, we're off this week for Independence Day. But for more Options Action, be, to- be sure to tune into the full show the following Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we will reveal if you bought Dan's fast pitch on Twitter, the results when Fast Money returns. Time for the results of Dan's fast pitch on Twitter. And, Dan, you squeaked by with a win. Squeaked by Whoa. 51%. So you're having the time of your life. Uh, time now for the final trades. Go around the horn. Tim. I'm going to
6: ride that FedEx momentum. Remember, the stock underperformed the S&P by 60% from Jan 18 lows. Uh, I think your time to cyclically buy this stock and the whole sector.
3: Steve Grosso.
5: On Semiconductor, O-N is the ticker symbol. I'm looking for 10% in a matter of a week or week and a half on Semiconductor, O-N.
3: Dan.
7: Yeah, just on Twitter, nineteen billion dollar enterprise value—way too cheap here for that asset.
3: Guy, we hardly ever hear this song, right? I mean, can't, really.
4: Can't wait to can't wait to see you tomorrow night show, Mel. It's gonna be a big one. I'm off. Oh, <laughs> Pan American Silver, P A A S.
3: Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at five, or they will. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.